I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. School of Humans. On March 30, 1930, Howard Gates wrote a letter from the warmth of a campfire, somewhere in the Baja California desert. I see spines in my sleep. I have been down to the axle a dozen times in mud, stuck in sand, had to carry my load up grades, bumped over rocks, broke a universal joint in El Orinoso, and again on a hill, been through El Purgatorio and down the grade into El Inferno, turned the truck flat on its side, been in perils on the seashore and mountaintops, under overhanging rocks and leaning cardons. Between the living rock and deep pits, I drank water out of ruts in the road, forgotten what a bridge looks like, and been sick in the moolie hay. The trip has been wonderful. Gates was a cactus breeder, seller, and collector. Later in life, he'd become president of the Cactus and Succulent Society of America. By old age, people hailed him as Mr. Cactus. But in 1930, he was just a guy who loved plants. Gates routinely flocked to the desert to see his favorite specimens, sometimes risking his life in the world's most inhospitable climates to see them in the wild. And he wasn't alone. You may not realize it, but there's a world of cactus obsessives out there just like him. Consider Joel Lode. In past lives, he was a bank employee, a television actor, a librarian. But then he decided to do, well, let's say bigger things. I went with my bicycle to go around the world. From his native France, Lode pointed his bicycle tires east and began pedaling around the world. The trip would change his life. Cycling through the deserts of Turkey and Iran, he was mystified by the plants he passed along the way, charmed by their endurance and their ability to survive in such harsh environments. 
Later, biking across California, he'd have that same feeling when he encountered his first wild cacti. When I saw the first flowers on the cacti, I was really in love because the flower was so beautiful in this desert where there is apparently nothing very nice. <laughs> Just snakes, scorpions, spines everywhere. But this flower were very attracting me. Lode couldn't help but get a closer look. I had many spines in the fingers and every everywhere in the body. So it is very, very painful and very difficult. But the flowers are so wonderful. Many, many uh, different colors, very exaggerated. From that moment, Lode was hooked. He bicycled across Death Valley, visited every country between Kenya and El Salvador, and dodged sniper fire in Yemen. He suffered heat stroke, encountered tomb raiders in South America, and was even deported out of China. All for the chance to photograph rare plants. I was in love with them, and I am still in love with them. (laughs) Joel Lode and Howard Gates are just two people out there. Two people who have planned their entire lives around seeing their favorite plants in the wild. But there are many others with the same passion. And that love can be the fuel driving a meaningful, well-lived life. But there is always a line. A line that divides passion from obsession. A hobby from a fixation. Sometimes obsession can blind you. It can make it difficult to see which side of that line you're on. It can open a gateway to a life of danger, and even a life of crime. From School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts, this is Bad Seeds. I was browsing a store recently when a greeting card caught my eye. On the front was a pretty illustration of a cactus in full flower. Underneath it, the words, the desert works constantly to forbid it, and still the cactus blooms. I get it. It's one of those cheesy inspirational quotes. But you know what? There really is poetry in a cactus's spines, and it draws people in. This is a contrast between the beauty of the flower and the dangerosity of the plant. And this contrast between uh, two things completely opposite are attraction to, to this plant. The cactus embodies the romance and grit of the Wild West. It is rugged, hardy. It stares adversity square in the face and dares to live in the world's harshest conditions. And not only does it live, it thrives, sometimes for hundreds of years. But put aside the romance. Cacti are reclusive, too. They sprout in far-flung places. The sorts of locales that only an Indiana Jones might explore. My first field trip to South America was in 2016, and I decided I wanted to come and see the Copiapora in Chile. That's Stefan Berger. But a lot of people just call him the Cactus Explorer. He's crisscrossed South America on the hunt for some of the world's rarest cacti. The adrenaline rush of finding them, he says, can be like stumbling upon riches. 
it became kind of addictive. I mean, there's just so many species to find and some of them are quite difficult to access. And so it took me a long time to actually travel around and see all of the species, but I became really fascinated with how they survive where they do and the ecology behind them and the, and the story behind all of that, living on the edge of the world's driest desert, the Atacama Desert. There's a book of photographs by the owners of the cactus store in Los Angeles called Xerophile, and it describes this pursuit beautifully. Cactus hunters, it says, are, quote, willing to spend months planning a trip across the globe, weeks driving down dirt roads, hiking across mountaintops, and riding on muleback, all in the hope of finding that one habitat, that one plant they are seeking. Often, they don't find it. So they keep looking, or return the next year, or never leave. It describes Berger perfectly. It takes a lot of internal motivation to actually be like, right, okay, I want to plan a trip to Peru and I want to go to this isolated mountain range and I have to learn Spanish or, you know, work out what I need to do to get there. And it's not always easy. It takes a lot of effort and it costs a lot to go and see a lot of these plants and habitats. So you have to be really passionate about it and really genuinely interested in habitat and ecology or else you just won't have the motivation to go and do it. It's that last part the very real risk of failure that makes cactus hunting more than just a peculiar hobby. For me, the fun in it is, is it's kind of like a, it's like, it's like a Pokemon hunt. It's like a treasure hunt sort of thing. You know, you go looking for something difficult, you find it, it gives you a lot of satisfaction. For some, that satisfaction is addictive and it can be taken too far. In the federal government, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service employs criminal investigators, undercover cops who scour the murky underworld of wildlife crime in search of people who are, well, perhaps a little too addicted. One of those investigators is Albert Gonzalez. I'm a special agent based in El Paso, Texas. By 2014, he'd been working as a special agent with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for nearly a decade. That September, Gonzalez got a call from a Customs and Border Patrol agent in Denver. The agent had been surveilling a ring of plant fanatics in Russia and Eastern Europe. You know, cactus doesn't occur everywhere else. That's what makes it so sought after by people from Europe and that part of the world, because cactus doesn't exist up there. These men, he said, had traveled many times to the southwestern deserts of the U.S., posting photos and GPS coordinates of rare cacti. This itself wasn't unusual. Many cactus hunters use this information to build their itineraries, a way to set travel plans. But the agent in Denver thought, this list? There's something fishy about this. The coordinates, he believed, were more than just a cactus nerd's sightseeing guide. They were a hit list. Our ultimate goal is to protect our resources. Some of these species of cacti There's so few left in the wild that any disturbance, any type of threat to them could make them go extinct. The thought process of, well, it's just a plant. It'll grow back. In many cases, on some of these species, it won't. And we'll never see it again. A few months later, a customs agent noticed that one of these collectors, a Slovak man named Igor Drab, was planning a trip to the American Southwest. He posted an advertisement online inviting other cactus lovers to join. 
Now that's when Special Agent Gonzalez got the call. A group of five hobbyists, Polish, Slovak, and Russian, would be arriving at LAX soon. The feds would need to keep a close eye on them. We followed them through about six different states for a period of about two weeks. Sometimes we would have to leapfrog from one location to another. It was challenging to keep up with them. Everything that follows, we know thanks to public court documents. At immigration, the five men are questioned. They show officials their itinerary. Three weeks of camping with stops in Joshua Tree, White Sands, Arches, Bryce, and Monument Valley. Immigration waves them through. But not before an agent makes note of a paper they're carrying, showing the GPS coordinates and the scientific names of cacti. One of the passports belongs to a Russian named Yevgeny Safronov. In 2011, he visited the U.S. and made a similar road trip, posting a travel blog of his favorite plants. At LAX, the men rent a white Chevy Tahoe. Gonzalez notes the plate number, 7FFX234, and quickly alerts the National Park Service. Four days later, two agents find the vehicle outside of Benson, Arizona, parked on a dusty, desolate stretch of road. Years earlier, Igor Drab had visited this exact spot. On a Czech website, he had recorded finding Mammillaria hederi and feral cactus Wislenzii, the little nipple and candy barrel cactus, respectively. The two special agents, dressed undercover, pull off to the side of the road. One steps out of the vehicle and, pretending to be a fellow cactus hunter, approaches the men. The tourists don't seem bothered. Squatting, their faces pointed to the dirt, they're just too busy snapping photographs. One of the men is friendly enough to approach the agent and say that they're, quote, looking for flowering cacti. The agent smiles and nods. She small talks, discussing cacti and snakes, before ambling back to her truck. She and her partner wait until the men motor off, a plume of dust rising behind them. When the area clears, the special agent steps out and begins scouring the landscape, looking for any signs of wrongdoing. In a place like Benson, Arizona, temperatures easily reach 90 degrees Fahrenheit in May. In that heat, the exterior of a cactus will look matte and dry. But when the agents approach where the tourists had been tramping, they find a cactus. But it's shimmering under the desert sun. The cactus pads appear bright and moist. Clear signs that somebody had sliced off a piece. Some plants, if they're damaged like that, they die. The agents return to their truck and begin writing down case notes. The tourists had stolen a seed pod. This patch of desert is no longer just a great place for sightseeing. It's a crime scene. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. 
With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. In the hyper-obsessed world of cactus hunters, it's not unusual to use GPS coordinates to track down rare plants. The trouble, Steffenberger tells us, is when that information is exploited. When I went to Mexico, I was given some really known localities for certain types of plants, and it was just starkly obvious that plants had been taken from the habitat. I mean, you can see the holes in the ground for the habitats that I've been to many, many times, you can see changes, you can see plants just basically disappear and you're, you're pretty much, yeah, you're just seeing holes in the ground with the remains of root systems kind of hanging out of the earth. For a cactus hunter like Berger, who may spend lots of time and money traveling to see just one type of plant, this is frustrating. He recalls one time searching for a rare cactus in Mexico. When it was discovered, it was highly poached. It was just flocks of people going there, taking the plants. And yeah, it was more or less wiped out. It's very, very difficult to go there and find any plants at all there. But despite the setback, he was still hungry to see it. I got put in contact with someone and the guy who gave me the information was like, he knows where there's another plant. It's not near the top locality, but you know, I must warn you that he is a poacher. I was like, okay, well, look, I really want to see this plan. And so ended up going to this really kind of sketchy part of Tamaulipas, which was, you know, it's had a reputation for being just full-on cartel narco territory in Mexico. And we were just in the middle of nowhere. And uh, this guy met us on the side of the highway on his motorbike, and he was the poacher. 
He basically walked us through this kind of sclerophytic scrubland. I mean, we must have seen over 20 plants in, in about, you know, 40 minutes or so walking around. It dawned on Berger that when it comes to cactus hunting, poachers are often a step ahead of hobbyists and scientists. I just couldn't believe it that we were actually seeing so many of this species in habitat because there's just such, you know, scarce information about it. It's so highly endangered. And um, I started asking him questions about how the poaching things work, you know, because I noticed there were some holes in some of the places that we went to and he's, oh, they, they were the biggest ones, like the biggest ones he had taken and sold them. And he made, you know, for him, a lot of money in Mexico, you know, and he was just like, yeah, couldn't believe how much money I made out of just something that grows in my backyard, essentially. That's how so many of us see plants, at least when you're plant blind just as something growing out in the backyard. And frankly, that kind of attitude makes rare plants easier to exploit, especially when you're in a rough patch yourself. He grows in such a poor part of Mexico and somewhere that's been just, oh, you know, extorted by the narcos and stuff. And he saw the numbers declining after he was taking them. And he's like, oh, he expected the next year for there to be an abundant supply of cacti again. But it's just not like that because... You know, they take decades to reproduce and especially to grow and produce new plants. Berger realized that this poacher was just a poor guy trying to make ends meet, which was kind of hard to come to terms with because as a cactus lover and a cactus hunter, nothing takes the wind out of your sails like seeing the environment you love torn apart. It's great to see a lot of plants in, in localities and things like that, but if you see any kind of harm or destruction, it, it just kind of taints the whole experience. So, you know, that's what got me interested in conservation in the beginning because I could just see the evidence there of the plants being exploited, essentially. I mean, there's animals and insects that rely on that plant for a food source, for example, so they're part of a food chain. You know, the pollen in a flower is right at the very, very base of the food chain that supports us as humans, you know, and it comes from a plant flower most of the time. So they're parts of ecosystems and taking them out of habitat is throwing all of that off course and reducing the amount of biodiversity out there. Poaching takes a toll. Cacti provide food and water for at least 25 species of wild animal, including deer and coyote. They're necessary for the survival of multiple pollinators, and they're a major habitat for ants, the food source for so many desert dwellers. Every plant that is ripped from the land hurts the survival of every species that relies on it. And these plants, they don't grow back quickly. You may remember Dr. Barbara Getch from our first episode. When you do this, you basically affect the number of seedlings and new plants that are going to get into your population. These plants grow very slowly. Some plants, for example, like the saguaro, they don't start producing flower until they're 30 years old. And some species only grow in hyperlocal areas. As in many other cases of people getting obsessed with things is the rarity of them. 
these plants, like, like cactus, more than 70% of Mexican species are found in Mexico and nowhere else in the world. And they tend to occur in very small areas and sometimes also in very small numbers. With such small numbers, sometimes one poacher can wipe out an entire genus in one afternoon. And that's prompted scientists to become tight-lipped with new discoveries, to act kind of like a botanical Illuminati, guarding the secrets of the most vulnerable species. Here's an example. It's 1952, and a botanist named Dr. Norman Boak is visiting the Crosby Hotel in Ciudad Acuna, a Mexican city across the border from Del Rio, Texas. There at the hotel, Dr. Boak spies a tiny cactus growing in a coffee can. It's a pygmy-sized specimen, nested in pebbles. It resembles a cloud of brilliant white stars, a corona of fuchsia flowers with yolky centers. Dr. Boak's never seen a cactus like this before, so he asks the hotel's owner how she got it. She shrugs and tells a story of a mining prospector some guy who'd found it while traipsing through the deserts of Coahuila. For a cactus expert, this was not useful information. Coahuila is the third largest state in Mexico. Its deserts are some of the most inhospitable parts of the country. But Boak thanks the proprietor, takes a few photos, and vows to look for this new cactus. Little does he know, he just committed to finding the Holy Grail. Because for the next four decades, botanists search and search and search. Two of the most prominent cactus hunters alive claim it holds, quote, undisputed first place in the great North American cactus hunt. But the desert is unkind. During one mission, more than 50 people fanned the sand together in search of the plant. No luck. For 44 years, the little cactus eludes discovery. And like any treasure hunt, failure causes most people to give up. But for a select few, the dead ends just fuel their desire to find it. Two men hell-bent on tracking the plant down are botanists Jonas Luti and George Hinton. In 1996, they started exploring the cattle farms near the Sierra del Carmen close to the U.S. border. There, among yucca and agave and lowing cows, they stumble upon the Sasquatch of cacti. And they make an agreement with one another. They will keep the plant's location a secret. When a plant gets discovered, the describing author has to put down a a type locality. And this can be really general. It can be as general as a certain state or province from a country. You'll find that there's a lot of cacti that have been described by somebody, but they haven't, populations haven't been found since. As Paul Hoxie writes in The Cactus Explorer, the discovery and subsequent secrecy surrounding its habitat had earned it a near-mythical status for cactus explorers in Mexico. Plants and plant distributions especially is such a double-edged sword. On the one hand, we, we want to know where these plants are so we can monitor them and introduce them into cultivation in an ethical way so people can have them. But, you know, then there's other people who will exploit that information because these plants, as probably many people know, have become highly valuable, especially 
plants that are not common in cultivation or take a long time to reach maturity, like some of them can take, you know, a hundred years to reach a decent size and it has really attractive characteristics that you can't replicate in in cultivation. So having that information in the wrong hands can lead to exploitation of these species. And some secrets are doomed to be revealed. Rather than quell the search, the discovery of the plant called Lutis pincushion cactus, or Mammillaria lutei, fanned the desires of obsessives. Cactus hunters, legal and illegal alike, became more desperate to see the plant. Today, it's become easier to find Mammillaria lutei in the market. Two legally cloned specimens spawned a cottage industry, with the little guy selling for around 20 bucks a piece. But in nature, the plant remains rare. The only thing protecting the wild population from extinction is its very elusiveness. But it would take only one irresponsible cactus hunter, somebody willing to leak the GPS coordinates of the plant's location, to risk this rare cactus falling into the hands of the wrong people. People like Yevgeny Safronov. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. About 560 miles from the first crime scene in Benson, Arizona, the white Chevy Tahoe turns up again, this time at Big Bend National Park in South Texas. The area lays claim to some stunning vistas, towering rock cliffs, muddy dikes, 
the meandering Rio Grande? For Yevgeny Safronov, Big Bend is familiar territory. Years earlier, he had visited the national park and had posted more than 50 photos online of the sites, but mostly photos of cacti. Little does he know, a federal agent is tailing. Here's Special Agent Albert Gonzalez again. It was challenging because in many areas that we were attempting to watch them, it was just them, a wide open field, and it was just them. Uh, so we had, we had to be cognizant of that. We kept our distance. It was a shot in the dark because many times we weren't in a position to have up close visual surveillance on them. On Maverick Road near Rattlesnake Mountain, a ranger finds their car and follows them deeper into the desert. Now, Big Bend is larger than the state of Rhode Island. It's an easy place to hide. So from a high point, the ranger watches the men through a pair of binoculars. From a distance, he sees them examining the ground, but he can't quite make out exactly what they're doing. So he waits. When the Tahoe tears away, the ranger descends onto a patch of Apuntia humafusa, or prickly pear cacti. The prickly pear is a flat and fleshy cactus with eye-popping pink flowers. It resembles a mound of discarded ping-pong paddles, and its fruit, you may be familiar with, tastes a bit like watermelon-flavored bubblegum. And although prickly pear is in margaritas and other foods, it is illegal to remove from federal land like Big Bend National Park. So the ranger follows the tire tracks and their footprints until he comes upon a prickly pear. And like the agents in Arizona, he finds the same bright sheen of a freshly injured cactus. The ranger gets back in his car and tries to catch up with the Tahoe. Later that night, as the sun skates the horizon, the ranger pitches a tent at the same campsite as the tourists and begins to secretly snap photos of his neighbors. He grabs a shot of that slip of paper with GPS coordinates. He watches as Yevgeny Safronov, knife in hand, stuffs the pad of a prickly pear into an empty box of Uncle Ben's rice. As Jay Weston Fippen reports in The Atlantic, that ranger would do more than surveil their every move. Under the cover of darkness, he would slink toward their vehicle. He'd bend down as if tying a shoe and then quietly stick a GPS tracker under their car. Satellites follow the men's every move now. Soon, the GPS shows them in Utah, exploring Arches National Park, where special agents are waiting. They watch the men wander a trailhead, occasionally bending over, as if they keep dropping something. But when the agents comb the site, they find a hole. An entire prickly pear cactus has been uprooted. One of the requests that we had from the U.S. Attorney's Office was if we had the opportunity to approach them in a normal encounter, you know, to make them aware that taking anything out of a national park is against federal law. At one of the national parks, we were able to arrange a contact with the park rangers to talk with them casually saying, you know, hey, we realize you're, you're here visiting. You may not be aware of our laws, but it is illegal to take 
anything out of the national parks. You can look, but don't touch, don't remove. They acknowledged that they understood that. So they, they were made aware. And even with this awareness, the tourists continue to pluck the plants from the parks. The feds have seen enough. That June at LAX, the men are at the Aeroflot check-in desk bound for Moscow. Special agents with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are waiting for them. They open and search the men's luggage. In Safronov's bag, they discover 34 cacti, 25 cactus fruits, and 36 cactus seed packs. The specimens are stuffed in nylon stockings, in trail mix containers, and even an old bag of Krispy Kremes. And of course, that one in a box of Uncle Ben's. Their loot runs the gamut. Cotton top, hedgehog, turk's head, and fishhook cactus, among many others. Safronov seems to have the whole desert in his suitcase. All of it. Illegal. Now, according to Convention 17 of the International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, better known as CITES, many of these plants are listed as Appendix 2, that is, at-risk plants. It's illegal to harvest them without a permit, doubly so on federal property. Safronov is sauntering down the Aeroflot jetway when police catch up to him. Officials ask if he has any plants on him, and he shakes his head. After pressing, he admits that he had packed some pine cones. The police press harder. Safronov starts to sweat. Finally, he breaks. He admits that he had no permits for the 60-plus cacti hidden in his luggage. Customs and Border Patrol escort him out of the airport. He's detained, and his passport is confiscated. Months later, Safronov pleads guilty before a magistrate judge. His crime carries a recommendation of up to six months in jail. But instead of serving hard time, he's fined $525. So yeah, anticlimactic, huh? All that detective work. All that following Safronov around North America. And for what? slap on the wrist? That's the problem we're facing. Because these mild penalties deter nobody. They don't stop obsessives. And as we'll soon learn, they don't stop organized criminals, mobsters, cartels, and government leaders from dipping their toes into plant crime either. Coming up, the obsession to find rare plants leads one of our guests to stare down the barrel of an AK-47. These figures just ran at us with all their machine guns, bandanas on their heads, and, and obviously not recommending the experience because, you know, you're going to die. I'm Summer Rain Oaks. Join us again next time for Bad Seeds. Bad Seeds is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. I'm your host, Summer Rain Oaks. Lucas Riley is our writer. Gabby Watts is our producer and Amelia Brock is our senior producer. Fact-checking is by Savannah Hugley and Zoe Farrow. Original music is by Claire Campbell. 
Sound design and score is by Jesse Neiswanger. Development was by Brian Lavin and Jacob Selzer. Special thanks to our voice actor, Mike Coscarelli. Our show art is by Pam Peacock. Executive producers are Brian Lavin, Elsie Crowley, Brandon Barr, Virginia Prescott, and Jacob Selzer. School of Humans. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important. Important information.